Hi, my name is Similana and welcome back to the podcast. In many cultures and in religions in general, there's always a tendency to look at the people of the previous generation as somehow better or more profound or wiser than the people of our generation. You don't get this in a secular context because from a secular standpoint, humankind is growing, becoming more technologically advanced, and the ideas are building off the generations that follow. But in religious and traditional environments, people like to look at the men of old as somehow greater, as somehow more profound and wiser than we are today. And this concept exists on a spectrum. On the one side, you'll have the Egyptians in ancient times who made their kings gods. And as time flowed forward, men of old or heroes of old or the great men of old transcended their mere human husks or shells and became something greater. We see echoes of this in the Greeks, where Hercules wasn't just a great strong man, he was a demigod, he was a son of Zeus. And flowing this throughout history, we see it rise and fall again, most famously with Christianity, that it wasn't enough for a man to be wise, to be a saviour, to be the messiah. He also had to be God, the Son of God, part of God, one with God, all depending on your specific interpretation of the Nicene Creed and the Trinity. Now, why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because an appreciation of how we look at the forefathers of the Jewish people directly affects our ability to learn from them. Before I get into it, I would just like to put forward a request. If you're able to like or review or give it stars on whatever the podcasting platform you use to listen to this podcast, it really helps. And these messages I think Rav Hirsch gives over, and everything I do on this podcast is centered around the thinking of Rav Hirsch, to get it to a wider audience. And anything that can be done to expand that, I would really appreciate it. This week's parasha gives us two profound ideas along the same wavelength. Examples about where you would expect one thing, but the exact opposite took place. Where you would expect a religious tradition to tend you in a certain direction. Judaism stands in the way of that, and we see examples by Avram Avinu, the father of the Jewish people. A radical step that what you would expect from antiquity. So what I'm going to do to lay out this roadmap is talk about these two principles. But before I describe them in detail, I want to give that prerequisite. So what am I talking about? Avram Avinu, the father of the Jewish people, the one who all Jewish people, by genetics or by ideas, trace their lineage to. And in this week's parasha, we see two examples about how he acted when, to use contemporary language, when he felt really, really spiritual. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that after the bris mila, we have a story of how he interacted or how he acted post this covenant with God. Can you think of an example of something more holy? That covenant with God, that God had a relationship with Avram. How did Avram act directly afterwards? And at the end of this week's parasha, we have the Arcada, the binding of Isaac, one of the most religious experiences in Jewish history, where God tested Abraham, and Abraham passed the test. So, how did he act afterwards? Now, this almost seems like a mundane question, because we're so focused on the events themselves. We speak about the bris mila, we speak about the covenant between man and God. But let's get practical. Remember that key thread, that Judaism is always interested in how you live your life going forward. To bring a sort of caveat to this point, it's we're in Cheshvan now. 
For Rav Hirsch, Cheshvan was the month of the Jew. Why? Because you've just lived the inspiration of the High Holidays. The inspiration of the High Holidays is supposed to inspire to life, inspire to the actual mission, which is living your daily life. Cheshvan epitomizes this. There's no events. There are no festivals. This is the time where Judaism's colors really shine. How do you act when there's nothing exciting coming? Because that really does symbolize life. The trudge and the rigmarole of daily life, when you get up in the morning, do you act like that beacon? Do you act like that Jew that is supposed to be a beacon to those around you, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your community? Do you live it out then? That is why for Rav Hirsch, Cheshvan was so pivotal. So to bring it back here, the beauty and the description of the Akedah and the, the moving story of the Brismila, but what we also care about is how he acted in his life post these events, because these also give instruction. They give moral instruction to us looking at them today. So that is going to be our sort of takeaway. But what's our sort of prerequisite for that? Well, what was Avram? This is key. In last week's parasha and in the parashas that will follow, we will hear examples of how the great men of old did not live up to their expectations. They didn't live up to their values. They didn't live up to what was expected of them and what they expected of themselves. We hear stories that are almost shocking from a religious standpoint. We hear examples about how the great men of old were in a way very similar to us. They were human. They were flawed. They were great. They were inspiring and the Torah does not record these people because they were like you and me in terms of my accomplishments. God chose Abraham for a reason. He was a great man, but he was a man. And the Torah goes at great lengths to remind us of the humanity of the greats of old. Their humanity doesn't take away from their greatness. It adds to it. It allows instruction to take place. It allows us to take message from them because I can't learn from a demigod because I would just assume any characteristic is a natural consequence to their divine attributes. Not worked on, not like me, who I struggle, who I doubt, I work on myself, I think back, I reflect, I work, I try again. That's my life. Well, what were their lives like? Did they struggle? And if they didn't struggle, why is their accomplishments impressive? Even within Judaism, we sometimes have a tendency to slip into this sort of discussion of people having special souls, people having a unique soul. Right, now, of course, that can be understood in a context, but it by no means makes them better. In Judaism, the effort is what counts, what you were able to achieve through the struggle of being human, not what you were given. The same way we can't take credit for our natural skills, we take credit for what we do with them, not with what we were given, those we have gratitude for. So this prerequisite to appreciating Avram allows us to understand that when Avram acted, he acted as a human. He acted as a man. This idea, Rav Hirsch felt, was essential to emphasize in the book of Beratius, in the book of Genesis, for us to be able to relate to the instruction of the great men of old. So we have the prerequisite down. Now let us bring forth the two examples I'm talking about. One that comes from example of action. One comes from the language of the Bible itself. So 
the action that took place after the Brismila, at the beginning of this week's parasha, we know the story of Avram with his tent. And the story is often told that he had tents to invite lots of people into his house. But what's often not emphasized is that after this moment, while he was talking to God, while he was in connection with God, he invited guests to his house, which is where we get the principle that to do Haknosis Archim is greater than being with the Shekhinah, the divine presence. But there's an element to that that's often not stressed. Who was he inviting into his house? What strangers were coming to his house from his point of view? Yes, I know the description that's given is of angels, but let's look at it from Avram's point of view. Who was he inviting? Well, he was inviting pagans. He was inviting the very people he disagreed with. He was inviting people that who he thought their ideology, their worldview, was fundamentally flawed. And directly after this spiritual experience of the covenant, the bris mila, the thing that has passed its way throughout history that holds the Jewish people to their mission, he invites a bunch of pagans into his house, idolaters, people from the street. He invites them to his house and he runs to do it. So the parallel to life is clear. How do I treat people I don't agree with? Do I treat them with disdain, with pity? Would I have them at my table? But I disagree so fundamentally with them. I can't see eye to eye with them. Is that not a reason to invite them in? If your ideas are better ideas, well, they'll now rise to the top. Avram wasn't afraid to meet people he disagreed with because he thought he had the best ideas. There's a reason they call it the marketplace of ideas because the best ideas come to the top, the same way the best product comes to the top. Avram is teaching us a fundamental message here. He wasn't fearful of other people who differed in their opinions. He didn't fear people who didn't agree with him. He invited them into his home. Not other Jews walking down the street who have the same worldview as I do, or Jews who fit into the specific approach to Judaism that I do. No, people who disagreed with him so fundamentally that they couldn't see eye to eye. But what of the second? The second idea I want to put on the table comes from language. So we have from action, but we also now have from the language of the Bible itself. On the way to this mission, this journey that Avram took with his son Yitzchak, the word Yachtov is used twice in reference to the father and the son on their way together on this journey, which people often have this idea that Yitzchak was a child, but it was a young man, and they were going together. And there's a beauty to that. They were going together on this mission for God. But afterwards, after the event had taken place, where he had reached this level of supreme spirituality, where he had past this test, which we sing about, which we say every single morning. How did he act? Well, we don't know. He just went home. But the Psukim point out, like Yachtov was used earlier, Yachtov is used here too. The language of the Psukim, and he returned to the young men, and they rose up and went, Vayachulu Yachtov, and they went together to Beersheba. Together with the people who helped them on their way, together with the regular folk, together with the people who weren't involved in this exalted experience. No, there was no separation at this point. They left together. And that was how Avram viewed them. That's how Avram viewed himself. It's a reflection of how he thought he was as a person in reference to other people. Avram didn't descend from the mountain and his approach to mere mortals was to shun them to one side where he and his son continue their journey, leaving the mortals behind. No, 
the Torah takes pains to emphasize, no, at this point, they went together. Avram looked at his role as his vocation, his mission in this world as that. He had a goal. He had a goal and a purpose. But those who didn't have the same goal or purpose weren't lower than him. Yes, he had a unique mission. Yes, he had a unique vocation. Yes, he had a unique purpose. But that didn't make him better. A person who looks at his job, at somehow making him better, has missed the point of the message of Avram. How Avram acted, as we hear at the beginning of this week's parsha, and how he acted at the end, emphasized by the language of the parsha, tell us how we must look at ourselves in the world, at our own vocations, not only religious, but Rav Hirsch takes pains to point out that almost the opposite is true. The higher the moral and spiritual level of the individual, the less conscious he will be of the greatness of his mission. Because greatness is a status in comparison to other things. If he looks at himself as doing his mission, important as it may be, but everyone has an important part to play. This was a reflection of Avram and how he treated people after he had been involved with the most exalted moment in Jewish history. The Torah takes pains to point out that he went together. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And once again, a quick shout out to the um, Intentional Jew Podcasting Network and the ability or the hope to spread different types of podcasts of a range of different views. Have a great week.